When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do and make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Welcome to the Voom Podcast. I'm Nikki Beatty, and we're back for another episode of Entrepreneurial Tales, Tips and Advice. Whether you're looking for inspiration, just starting up a business or ready to grow, we've plenty coming up in today's show as we focus in on two businesses putting tech and innovation at the core of what they do. Plus, later on, we've got words from the Voom Pitchathon, Virgin Media Business's world record-breaking marathon of pitches held as part of this year's competition. We caught up with the judges as they finished an incredible 29-hour stint, watching nearly 160 businesses give them their best. But first, a warm welcome to my guests in the studio. They are two serial entrepreneurs. I'm joined by the co-founder and mastermind behind a global community of tech startups whose company Tech Hub has helped thousands of businesses since 2010. Those businesses have raised over a billion dollars. Elizabeth Varley, hello. Hello. And a man who's hatching a plan to bring imaginary worlds to life. All for an affordable price. Welcome to Richard Stevens, co-founder of OptoVR, whose new virtual reality headset has just completed a massively successful crowdfunding campaign to launch full production later this year. Lovely to have you here, Richard. Hello. Now, OptoVR, new virtual reality headset, it's just completed a massively successful crowdfunding campaign to launch full production later this year. So it's nice to have you here and congratulations. So to start with, uh, quite an open question to you both. Is now really a good time for startups to be innovating? Because we've just been through a tricky few years of austerity across the globe. The Great Recession doesn't really seem that long ago. And whether you're developing new software products or inventing hardware, it takes a lot of investment and time to bring totally new ideas to life. So my question, I suppose, is, is it a time to be careful or should entrepreneurs just be going for it? Elizabeth, I'll ask you first. Well, I think that there's no good time to start a business and there's no bad time to start a business. So that means that any time is a great time to start a business. It's always going to be challenging. There's always going to be opportunities. And so you just have to grab the opportunities you have and take them forward now. Richard, you are obviously doing exactly what I said is probably fearful in this sort of economic climate. But you think it's a good time, obviously. I think it's been a good time for us. Um, I'd, echo, I'd echo your point that um, there's never really a good time or a bad time. Um, I mean, I've, this is unfortunately not the first time I've been through this. I have been through this a few times now, um, done a few different startups and some where we've had a lot of success and some where we haven't. So um, I guess if you, if you have the idea and you really want to do it, then uh, 
just grab the bull by the horns. Yeah, I always find it as interesting to hear about people's failures or people's non-starts, if you like, as I do the success stories, because you learn so much from the things that didn't work. Can you give us an example of what didn't work for you, just so people get an idea that you're not just this super successful man who, who has the Midas touch? Well, I haven't. No, I mean, I would like to say that nothing I've ever done, you know, has not worked, but and that's not the case. Um, and I think it's different circumstances. So it's not necessarily what you do um, as a you know as a business person. It, it might be more circumstances of the markets. Um, it's all about timing and 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 being in the right place at the right time. And, and we don't always get that right. I started a. Um, carbon emissions trading business, which is a very different kind of thing. Um, and we were trading in environmental commodities, carbon credits on a voluntary voluntary basis. So that was another business that I was involved in, but it had a it had a um a very sort of difficult time, let's say, in the in the market, and that's why it didn't survive. Well it sounds so intangible, a bit like virtual reality. Maybe this is your speciality. I'm getting a theme here. Elizabeth, you founded TechHub back in twenty ten. Tell us what was going through your mind at that point and why you felt it was important to create what is a joined up community of startups who are all working together. One of the biggest challenges of being an entrepreneur is it can get incredibly lonely. Um, and uh, for example, for, for younger people uh, who may have quit a well-paid job to do their crazy internet thing uh, and their parents are, are wondering why they're doing things like that, if you're suddenly in a room full of hundreds of other people also doing their crazy internet thing, suddenly it doesn't seem quite so much of a risk that you're taking. The biggest difference between business owners and entrepreneurs is the entrepreneur's appetite for risk. And so it's quite a different environment in which to be really forging ahead and, and pushing for really exponential growth rather than possibly just sort of plodding along. You also, in that kind of environment, really need to learn from other people. And while we offer the opportunity to learn from experts, sometimes the best people to learn from are those who are six months further on, a year further on, who can really understand exactly where you've been because they've just been there too. Had you ever done anything like that before? Um, yeah, TechHub is my, my second business. Uh, my first business was an editorial agency. And doing that uh, more on my own was really challenging. And I learned so much from other people that I really felt like, well, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to create a consistent opportunity to do that, where every day you'd be able to be surrounded by different people who could help you in different ways? So how did you know that it was going to work? What were you trusting in? Entrepreneurs take a lot on instinct. Um, and I really had a very strong sense that this was something that was needed. But the most important thing is going out into the market and talking to people. And that's the same for absolutely any business. You need to go and talk to your potential customers, in our case, our potential members who are entrepreneurs and startups, and say, is this something you need? What else would you need? What wouldn't you want? Why would this work for you? Why wouldn't that? And we had such overwhelming interest uh, from when we even started talking about it that 
I knew it was something that was definitely needed, not just in the London community, but globally. Because you are in so many places in the world now, aren't you? We are, yeah. We're across Europe um, and we're also uh, in India, which has been uh, fantastic to... Has it? Because I'm, you know, I have Indian lineage. I'd imagine it's one of the hardest places in the world to start up anything. (laughs) It's, I find that uh, the Indian culture is very much about trying to make something from the things that you have, uh, looking at workarounds, looking at uh, opportunities and, and spotting gaps and how can we do this better and this doesn't quite work for me and how can I do it differently? And so we've found that the entrepreneurial mindset is very strong uh, in the Indian community. And of course, the opportunity there for the market is huge, not just because of the the number of people in the population, but mobile adoption has just been extraordinary. And that's a huge opportunity for technology entrepreneurs. Richard, I want you to tell me now and everybody listening about the inception of OptoVR, because There are big players, aren't there? There's Google, there's Oculus and Samsung, all making virtual reality equipment. When did you know you had a product that could stand out in the crowd and compete? Well, I think um, the journey for us has has been probably about a year ago we started looking at virtual reality and we had a very sort of specific brief. We were looking at virtual reality being used in public places. And so we met with quite a few different museums, art galleries, different uh, institutes, who some of those were already using virtual reality. Other ones were thinking about it. It seemed to be an area which made a lot of sense for, for, for public use. When would we be using VR in our everyday lives? Do you see a point where I will be purchasing your product to use at home? Is this the idea? Yes. I mean, I think, the, as I said, the, the original thing we set out to do was we were looking at for public use. And it was only later when we, when we worked out all the things we'd come up with that um, the various different attributes that Opto has would be very good as a consumer product. So that's when we, we started looking at that. And so when, when you talk about you know, everyday users, that's what we're really appealing to. So people who buy, were going to buy an Oculus or an HTC Vive or one of these high-end virtual reality units. Um, gaming is, is a big area, which is obviously everyone knows about, but that is really only a, a small part of what it can be used for. I think um, you know, we're seeing some really interesting things happening now with VR journalism. Um, and what we've experienced when we've been doing demos and things with Opto is that people, when they're put in a video um, experience and they're, they're seeing something, we, had a, we were running some videos about Serbia, we were running different videos, um, video documentaries, where we put people in situations. And um, as I say, it's a much more um, engrossing experience. So you get very much um, you know, in touch with your surroundings. It's not the same as when you're sitting in front of a TV and having you have a cup of tea in your hand and you're talking to your friend. You're very much immersed. And so I think that's the that's the thing that people will start to be able to use it for at home is having a more immersive experience with whatever medium they're trying to learn about. Just describe what Opto VR will look like. How will it sit on my head? I, I need to understand it. So it's a very lightweight product that's made of foam. So we've made the product from foam. Um, what was an interesting decision we had right early on, which was when we looked at the problems relating to VR, and one of the biggest issues is weight and people being able to wear them for a long period of time or a longer period of time without feeling fatigued. So we decided to make it out of foam, which we thought was a good idea at the time. Um, we have a lot of experience as product designers in making injection molded products. So we thought, well... 
how difficult can it be to make it injection molded from foam? But boy, that was maybe an understatement. So, um, but it took, took us some time to find the right way to do it. Um, but we have cracked it and we're really happy that we have. So the products will be very easy for you to wear. It's going to be more like a wearable than a piece of technology strapped to your face. And the other thing that we that we looked at with Opto was integrating the sound straight in. So you don't have to, you know, wear additional headphones with it. But Google produce Google Cardboard, don't they, which is quite a cheap and fairly affordable headset. Where does your product sit in comparison with that? We're sort of in the middle. I mean, Google Cardboard is it's a very good way for people to perhaps, you know, learn a little bit about VR and start having some experience. But as a headset, it's not a great introduction to VR because it isn't really as good and as immersive as you would be if you were inside a, inside a proper headset. So I think the problem with that is it's a lot of people's first introduction is that they put it on there and they go, they look around and they go, oh, this is kind of all right, but it's not much, it's not that good really, is it? So what we want is someone who can have an affordable um, Oculus type experience with a high quality, uh, high quality, we're using high quality lenses and give a really good uh, field of view. So it allows you to and have this immersive experience, but at a much lower cost. So we're really trying to appeal to people who, like you say, you know, who want to use it at home and they don't know perhaps what for yet. Well, we mentioned that you recently crowdfunded the initial round of manufacturing. Did you really run the crowdfunder to raise money or was it also some sort of validation about your good idea? It certainly wasn't to raise money. Um, I think if, you, if you're going to get very, very lucky on Kickstarter and you get some very, very good uh, backing, either you just have uh, you know the right product in the right place, or you have someone very good doing your PR, um, especially these days. But um, I think the the you know we had success on Kickstarter; it was great. But for us, it was all about market validation. So we'd come up with this product. We had tested it with lots of users and we thought we were onto something. So the idea of Kickstarter was to say, can, you know, do people want to buy this? Um, and, you know, we, we, we sold over 500 units. Um, so we realised that we definitely got something right. Elizabeth, you've had the luxury, I assume it's a luxury, of working with lots of startups in tandem. And learning and sharing knowledge is fundamental to what Tech Hub is all about. What makes your eyes and your ears light up and prick up when someone's explaining a new business to you? Oh, we, we do get to see so many and often from a very, very early stage. Um, and it's probably one of the more exciting parts of my job is you, you get to see people walking in and, and, and showing you something that you just think, I would never have thought of that in a million years, but I can see it's going to be on everybody's phone in six months time. Um, I think what what I tend to get quite excited about is when it's something that's solving a very clear problem, Mm. um, uh, often one that I may have experienced myself. And that tells me that there's a market for that product uh, out there that people are instantly going to understand what that is and how it improves their lives, how it helps them. Uh, sometimes it can be something incredibly innovative that you wouldn't have thought of before. Give me an example of that, if you would. One of our companies uh, is called Duke Deck, and uh, they're a great group of people who are focused on uh, on data and on music. And what they've done is they've created an AI system that can create unique royalty-free music that you can use in the background of your videos, that sort of thing, um, without any musical knowledge whatsoever. 
So you go on uh, onto Duke Deck and you you put in the style of music that you want, the length that you want. You can put in when you want a sort of a peak or a climax to the music because of the way the video is. And it will produce for you instantly music that you can use royalty free in the background of your video. So if I was using that for a piece of speech uh, production and I wanted what we call a bed of music running underneath me, could I say I want Afrobeat fella cootie style and it would come up with it? Absolutely. Wow! But isn't that going to put musicians out of business? No PRS collections for them. You don't care, do you? Well, I think I think the the market that they're they're aiming at, as well as a, a corporate market, and you can go on to buy the rights to the music if you want it to be something uh, for you. And and every piece is unique, uh, but it's really aimed very much at those who don't have big budgets to get people to uh, to get musicians to create new music for them. Uh, it means that that everybody, whether you're just uh, an, an amateur YouTube video producer uh, right through to to a, a corporate producer uh, can create music that works for exactly for your video, exactly what you need. Uh, we were talking earlier about the importance of having a unique offering in whatever business you're in. Richard, how do you go about protecting your product? Do you have any patents, for example? Um, so on Opto, we don't have any patents. We have done other products in the past where we have registered patents and that is a, a great form of protection but we did things like you know registered tra- you know registering trademarks and things around the name and, and there are things that you can do but for really f- our best form of protection get to market quickly be the first one there um and you know yeah i mean i've been involved in a couple of other products which have been copied and we still survived so um you've got to get out there and, and, and produce it quickly you were nodding furiously at that elizabeth you agree obviously absolutely um, the the biggest challenge for a startup is is having uh, the funds to to pursue something and and patenting is is great but you have to uh, be able to have the funds to defend it if someone it's it's not just about protecting it but if someone um, in infracts against it then the challenge is you have to chase them down. You have to pay for the lawyers to do that. And so the best thing you can do is get out there as quickly as possible. Elizabeth, in all your experience of the various companies that you've been working in tandem with, do you think that it is actually much harder for a software-based tech company to protect their work? The challenge is about whether or not your product is defensible. Uh, we talk about that quite a lot. There are some products where, um, as Richard was saying, it's really about trying to be the first to do it and capture so much of the market that anybody coming along trying to do the same thing will have a challenge pulling customers from using your product to using their product. The challenge comes when it's quite a simple idea to execute on. Someone can come along and say, well, we can do a better job than that and create a better product. And that means that that your idea is not particularly defensible and lots of people can come along with bigger budgets and, and wipe you out of the market. Elizabeth, how does the power of the hub, if you like the hive mind, help amplify a company's reach? We try and help uh, our companies at Tech Hub get access to all of the different things that they need. And one of those things is pushing their message out there. Uh, So we help them by uh, announcing things about them uh, to our social media followers. So that might be uh, a new product they're launching or they've just raised uh, a round of funding or they've just exited, which is very exciting. Um, 
We also help to get them access to members of the press that they might have difficulty uh, getting hold of through the relationships that we have. So when I have someone come in to interview me about what's happening at Tech Hub and that sort of thing, I'll often say, why don't you meet these fabulous three members and hear about the kinds of things that they're doing? Because really, that also tells our story as Tech Hub incredibly well, because they're the people we're doing it for. So what advice would you give to a new startup wanting to have some sort of presence, whether it's on social media or elsewhere? What would you say they should be doing? The most important thing uh, when you're starting a business is to talk about it. Uh, Lots of people think that they need to be in stealth mode, that they need to protect their idea, that other people might steal their idea. Um, That's actually incredibly rare. And the biggest challenge that you have is making sure that people hear about it. So what you must do from the very beginning is talk to absolutely everybody all the time until they're completely bored of it, until they're they're sick of the sight of you uh, about this amazing thing that you're doing. Because the more you talk to people, the more they talk to other people and the more they can see the, the belief that you have in what you're doing and the excitement about your product. And that helps them get excited as well. You don't have to have a big budget to, to get things out there. You need to be creative and you need to understand the market that you're aiming at and speak directly to them. Time now for the latest from the Voom competition, which, if you don't know already, is an annual campaign run by Virgin Media Business aimed at helping companies start up and grow with the chance to win a share of £1 million worth of prizes and business support. We were recently at the Voom Pitchathon and spoke to the judges just after the event. I'm Andy Fishburn, I'm Head of Investment at Virgin Startup, and I'm one of the three marathon judges of Voom. So we've just completed 29 hours, it's been full on start to finish, um, absolutely shattered now, heading home to bed, um, but it's been a fantastic, fantastic experience, and I think you know everyone who's kind of pitched over the last 29 hours, the real stars are today. We've seen some awesome pitches um, of the last kind of day and a half, and I think the, the thing that I'll, I'll really take away is it's those with genuine passion and conviction um, that stand out. It's those that get you to kind of sit up in your seat, take notice, and to really buy into what they're doing. So I would say, you know, it's all about the passion, um, the conviction, and just really, really sell it. I, I think there were some kind of really interesting approaches to pitching. Um, we had a guy who kicked off with like a double backflip, which was awesome. A guy who came in with like an interactive sandwich board that he was flipping through throughout his pitch. Um, we even had a life-size human robot, um, which is pretty awesome. So I think the, the props really kind of help elevate it, bring it to life. Um, but honestly, just kind of start to finish, everyone was, everyone was awesome. But I think one of the, the highlights that keeps us judges kind of endlessly entertained um, was the pitchers trying to leave through the cupboard door um, next to the actual door. Um, we're taking bets on how many people would do it by the end. I'm Dina Tokia and basically I was one of the guest judges. I've just sat through a three-hour pitching session and it was great, but I do have some tips for future pitchers. This is always my tip, just keep it really, keep it as short as you can and simple. Stop using fancy words, keep it simple and straight to the point. 
because otherwise we'll just waste time asking you questions what the hell you meant. I've come away from this with a lot of inspiration, to be fair. There's a lot of things that I've got in the back of my head where I'm like, oh, I need to get on that for one of these lot get on it <laughs> there was one really great pitch that caught my attention i won't name who it is because i'm not allowed but it was to do with maternity outdoor wear i thought that was great because maternity wear in general is very hard to come by where it's stylish uh it's not something that i would go for because i'm not really an outdoorsy person but i can see how so many people will go for that and maternity wear in general is just a huge market anybody should tap into that really this is Julie Dean, otherwise known as founder of Cambridge Sexual Company, but for the past few days I've been lucky enough to be one of the judges in the big Virgin Voom world record attempt, listening to all the fantastic pitches. And thank goodness they were so um, good, because otherwise I'd never have kept going for nearly 29 hours, although the man from the Guinness World Records did point out that we were nine minutes short of 29 hours, so... 28 hours, 51 minutes, but it was enough to win the world record. So we are now world record holders that can go on um, the Virgin Wall. Um, what a few days. I should feel more tired than I do, but I think that's probably because of my two um, co-judges, marathon judges, Peter and Andy, who were just the best, best company that anybody could have during such a long haul. Over the past 29 hours, we've seen 158 pitches, so a few takeaways. Um, top tips for pitching. Don't get nervous. You know more about it than the judges do, so there's no need to. Uh, always be excited because it's an opportunity and you're mad if you don't take it and feel really happy to be doing it. And if you can have some exciting props, then that uh, always goes down well. So a uh, big thank you to the man dressed up as an astronaut. Um, I'd say that it's always great to be passionate. It's always great to be high energy. Um, it really is massively exciting if you happen to be Chico or the person who was Bella from the Tweenies. That, that gave us all a, a bit of a shock. Um, but everybody, they knew their stuff. They knew their numbers. It's always good to know your numbers, your turnover, your margins. You're always going to get asked. Um, and then on the don't side, don't walk into the cupboard on the way out because that always makes the judges laugh but um to the three people who did that thank you very much really kept us going andy fishburn head of investment at virgin startup dina torkia stylist influencer and youtube star and julie dean obe founder of the cambridge satchel company the voom pitchathon judges you can find out which businesses made it through the Pitchathon into the Voom semi-finals by heading to vmbvoom.com or by following us on Twitter at vmbusiness. Elizabeth, Tech Hub must feel like a Pitchathon in itself at times, surely. Not really. Um, we we talk to our companies a lot. We hear about what they're doing. But the tech hubs are a, a hive of activity all the time with people helping each other, with our corporate and other partners coming in and giving assistance to our startups. It's really much more of a community feel where you can walk in, you can sit down and work, or you can chat to other people, or you can take part in our very high quality programs. It's really about creating an environment where you can dip in and out to the things that you need at the time and when you need to just get your head down and work and focus on getting your product ready to get out the door, you can do that too. 
So if you were to pick out some success stories of companies who've come through Tech Hub, are there any trends that you've spotted, whether it's a business style or the way they work? What do you think equates success? That's a tricky question. There there are so many different factors and it depends very much on the business and the type of business. Uh, I think the ones that do incredibly well are those who understand the importance of their team and who invest in people and the right people uh, from very early on. Um, That's something that we see again and again. We've had many of our companies sell to very uh, big household name companies. We've had companies sell to Twitter and Facebook and Microsoft and Google. And it's really exciting for us to see these companies that have started from so small become so successful and become so attractive to the big companies that we all know. Would you like that to be your ideal, Richard? Would you like to sell to a larger entity? Personally, I mean, obviously, every entrepreneur is hungry for success. And it depends how you measure that success. And what I really would consider success is not necessarily selling and exiting and making a big chunk of money, which I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's listening from Microsoft or (laughs) but what I am saying is that, you know, feeling that we've achieved, you know, just backtracking slightly to what you were talking about earlier about companies approach to a product i mean the first thing that we looked at with opto was there's a problem in the vr world with weight Mm. how can we solve that there's a problem in the vr world because nobody's integrated any speakers into these things and sound is integral to the whole vr process so we looked at all these problems and we said how can we solve them so For me, getting to the end of the product is what I'm so excited about. And the amount of times I've seen a company take a good product, not naming any names, but I've seen companies take a good product and then it gets absorbed into their their ecosystem and it's never seen again. And really for me, the thing I get very excited about is people using the product that I've made. Um, And so I guess my success would be the product being successful rather than the sellout. Richard, what are your plans for the future? We're going to see Opto as a consumer product soon, but what about B2B? Will there be headsets in cinemas and concert halls anywhere else, for example? Yes, I mean, our our original brief for, for Opto was to look at VR in public places, and we're very keen to pursue that. I mean, there are VR cinemas popping up now. There's VR being used in museums and concert halls. We're even talking about VR concerts. I don't know if you've seen... Um, some of the technology that exists now from a software point of view, you can even paint in 3D and do very exciting things. So we've been exploring the idea of, you know, even having kind of parties where people can put on these headsets and they can be almost like a, a VRJ, if you can imagine painting a, <laughs> painting on the wall with your, like with your VR headset. So I think there's a huge scope for us to, to get into the B2B market and it's probably where we're, we're even more excited about. What do you think is the single most important thing for an entrepreneur to possess in terms of a human value? I'm asking you, Elizabeth. I think self-belief is incredibly important. It's going to be a long road. It's going to be hard. It may be lonely at times. And you need to really believe that you are the right person to take this product and this business forward. And it's important to ask other people. It's important to get advice. But you need to trust your gut and trust that that what you want to do is, is really the right way forward. Richard, so far for you. 
Um, I think optimism. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> I'm probably pretty optimistic all the time, which is good because actually my business partner is completely the opposite. He's very pessimistic, so we actually kind of works quite well. So I think being really clear on what it is that you want to do, even if it looks impossible, that's the sort of area that I look at. Surely an entrepreneur wouldn't even think in terms of whether the glass was half full or half empty. They'd just go, well, I can fill it up. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that the attitude we all need? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's nearly it for this episode, but a couple of quick questions to both of you before we go. If you were to swap businesses for the day, what advice would you give each other? Um, well, I know that's a hard one. Elizabeth, you can start by giving Richard a piece of advice. Wow. <laughs> um, that's a really interesting question. Not knowing the inside workings of your business whatsoever. Um, I was really intrigued by what you were saying about the idea of having people using VR headsets in a group. And it made me think about silent discos, silent cinema and all that sort of thing. And I did think that because it's so hot at the moment that that would be a really, really interesting avenue to pursue. But it's something that you're doing uh, already. Um, I guess a piece of advice, because that was what you asked, Nikki, is to be able to describe your product incredibly succinctly, incredibly quickly. Because it's something that's a physical thing, I imagine that for lots of people it can be quite hard to envisage what it's like. And I think having a very rich description completely at the ready, ready uh, in your mind would be really very useful. I think that's great advice for anyone with a product as well. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm flipping over to you now, Richard. Yeah, it's a very um, interesting one. As I say, not knowing the ins and outs of one's business. Um, and um, I mean, I suppose I can probably pull on some personal experiences I've had because I have done a few sort of incubator type things as an entrepreneur. So I've been on the other side of the fence a few times. I did Mass Challenge. I was based out in Boston for a while doing that, um, if you're familiar with that one. And we're part of a group here in London called Makeaversity, mm -hmm. which is not an incubator in itself, but it's a sort of co-working space where, as you outlined earlier, people work together. They're all doing very different businesses, but they sort of help each other out. Um, I was also nervous of that when I first went into that field of, you know, people stealing ideas, but very quickly realized that actually everyone just wants to help everyone. But what I have realized, and this is not necessarily directly at Makeaversity, it's just more of a general thing, is that I think it's very hard for you as you grow to keep that feeling of community going. And so I, I don't know if I have any real advice, but I can tell you from being on the other side of the fence, that's something to watch to make sure that, um, that it still feels the same as, way as it did when you first joined. And if you go right through and become a sort of alumni, it's great to be able to come back and share those experiences with others. Great. That, that's really useful to hear. How lovely. Now, if you were to single out a particular area that you find interesting, where do you think the most exciting opportunities are in the world of tech and innovation for new entrepreneurs? Is it hardware? Is it software? Is it both? Elizabeth, to you first. Um, it's both. It's everything. Uh, there's so many different directions that people's creativity can take their innovations, and that's really exciting. One area in particular that I think is a huge market and a great opportunity is in the area of med tech, uh, medical technology and health tech, and obviously we were talking about yeah. that just earlier in terms of OptoVR and psychotherapy, which is very exciting. We're seeing so many ways of using the internet for what 
it was really envisaged for, which is about connection. And one of the things I think we've all expected is that the necessity of connecting medical information is something that hasn't really happened. And I don't think any of us really know why. One of our companies is working on that in particular about creating a system that all hospitals and NHS trusts and doctors and that sort of thing can all connect their existing systems into so it's not replacing anything because that's the biggest challenge so that medical data information learnings can be shared that can really make a massive difference to diagnostic ability, to not having to have repeating tests all the time, which is very challenging for patients. And so I really think that there's such a huge opportunity to affect our health and our well-being in a much more connected and exciting and useful way. And We're not there yet, but there are a lot of opportunities. See, using tech for good and for the future of our health. Richard, what about you? Well, virtual reality, of course. That's, you know, what everyone should be investing in. Well, and also, if we tie the virtual reality into medical, not just in the psychotherapy way that you described earlier, but how about I get to go into a human liver and understand it all? (laughs) Would that work? Yeah, I certainly think there's a lot of educational applications of virtual reality. You know, We're also looking at beyond virtual reality, there's augmented reality, where you combine what you're looking at, either with your own eyes or with a video camera, kind of creating a mixed reality, really. So it goes beyond VR for us in terms of of that's a, a big area which we want to explore. We also have some absolutely amazing ideas for products, but I just can't talk about them. (laughs) The big tease. End on a big tease. A massive thank you to both my guests today. It has been an utter privilege to have you both in the Voom studio. Elizabeth Varley and Richard Stevens. The Voom podcast is a Pixiu production for Virgin Media Business. And remember, to find out more about Virgin Media Business's Voom campaign, head to vmbvoom.com or on Twitter using the hashtag Voom at VMBusiness. From me, Nikki Beatty, and the Voom podcast team, until next time, goodbye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.